Well, good morning, Faith Church. We having a good day so far? It is an amazing day to be in the house. My name is Adam. I'm the executive pastor here. And truly, it's our honor that you guys have chosen to join us today here in Florence. Everybody watching at our Lawrenceburg campus, we love you guys. And today, I had our production crew text me because I don't know how much you guys know that we don't just reach Alabama and Tennessee, but right now, through that camera, we currently have people watching Faith Church in Georgia, New York, Texas, Colorado, North Carolina, Ohio, Illinois, Alaska, New Mexico. We welcome all of you guys. So thankful that you get to watch us through the power of technology. Welcome to Faith Church today. We are in week six of a series that we have called Mind Mods, where we are taking some cultural catchphrases that we've all probably heard from time to time throughout our life, and we're looking at some modifications that we need to make to our mindsets for us to change, to walk out, and to live the life that God's called us to live. Today, I want to start off, I want to ask you a question. So whatever you're doing, kind of pause for a second, get your thinking caps on, okay? What is it that you want? What do you want? Whether we're talking about your job or we're talking about your marriage or your finances, we're talking about your relationship with God, your ministry, what do you want? When was the last time you actually sat down and thought about the answer to that question? What do you want? There's this old catchphrase that we're going to be looking at today that says that you have to begin with the end in mind. The problem is you can't begin with the end in mind when you've taken some time to figure out what is the end. What's your goal? What is it that you want? Today we're going to be looking in the book of 2 Timothy. You know, we've all got our favorite Bible characters. I don't like calling them characters because they were real people, just like you and just like me, but that's what we call them. So my favorite Bible hero is the Apostle Paul. So we're going to be in the book of 2 Timothy today. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, you can watch on the screens behind me. But the Apostle Paul is um, arguably, I think, he is my favorite, so I did tell you that up front. I think he's arguably the most influential human being to ever walk this planet. He literally changed the face of this planet forever. Not just in terms of religious context, but he changed everything. His writings. We wouldn't have had the Reformation. We wouldn't have had Martin Luther. We wouldn't have Protestantism. We wouldn't have Gentile Christians. That's you and that's me, unless you're here and you're Jewish. We wouldn't have had that without the Apostle Paul. There are billions of people today that have the gospel because of what this guy did. He had an amazing ministry. And I want to start in 2 Timothy because today we're not just going to look at kind of the life of the Apostle Paul. We're going to take a peek into his mind at the end of his journey. 2 Timothy chapter 3, we see Paul is writing this letter to Timothy, this, this young guy named Timothy who is, who is going to be his replacement. Timothy is being groomed to be the replacement for Paul. Check it out. 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 10, he writes this. He says, but you, Timothy, certainly know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith, my patience, my love, and my endurance. You know how much persecution and suffering I've endured. You know all about how I was persecuted in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. But the Lord rescued me from all of it. Verse 14, he says this. He says, but you, Timothy, must remain faithful to the things you've been taught. You know they're true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. For you have been taught the holy scriptures from childhood. And they've given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. 
See, we can't talk about the end without talking about the beginning. And just like Paul and just like Timothy, you and I had a beginning. We're told in this first portion of 2 Timothy that Timothy began as the Sunday school kid, right? Some of y'all know that kid. He was the Sunday school kid. He was the Wednesday night kid. He was the VBS kid. Paul says that, that he was trained in the Holy Scriptures from childhood. Like nobody was surprised when Timothy became a pastor. That was just, that's Timothy. That's the kid. And that's important because what Timothy was set to do was to be the replacement for the Apostle Paul. And if you're new to church or you're not real sure what this story actually means, like I want you to imagine being the head coach that has to replace Nick Saban in 40 years when he retires. Imagine that. I know I'm hoping, but one day. We're just going to longevity in the name of Jesus. Imagine how difficult filling those shoes would be after the success that he's had. Now I want you to imagine that success, and I want you to multiply it by about a 1,000. Because I told you, the Apostle Paul is arguably, if not the, one of the most influential people, not in college football history, but in all of history. And Timothy's set to, to step in. See, Timothy had a beginning, just like you and just like me. We all had a beginning. And here's what I know. You didn't choose your beginning. You didn't get a say in your hometown or the home you grew up in. You didn't pick your parents. You didn't pick whether they were good parents or bad parents, whether they loved you or not, whether they stayed or not. You didn't get a say in your socioeconomic culture, the educational environment that you were raised in. You didn't get to choose your beginning. But what I want you to know today as we dive into this is I don't want you to use your beginning as an excuse for who you're becoming. See, especially in our culture, in our context today, we have to understand that none of us had the same starting line. We are all at different points in this journey, and we get really good at comparing ourselves to other people and where we are on the journey and how much we've achieved, but it becomes difficult when we didn't have the same starting line, so you can't compare where you are in the race to me because we didn't start at the same point. The truth is, we've all had to overcome things in our lives. We all have battles. We all have struggles. But some of us have had a much easier road than others, right? Some of you were born with the proverbial, like, silver spoon in your mouth. Some of you did good to have a wooden spoon in your mouth. Some of you have had to fight for everything you've ever gotten. The deck was stacked against you. Life is not fair. But it doesn't change the end that God's promised you. You didn't get to choose your beginning, but because of Jesus, you get to choose your ending. Next Friday, my beautiful wife, Brittany, and I, we will celebrate our 16th wedding anniversary. Yep. She's put up with me for 16 years. That's pretty, pretty special. And honestly, like, I'm going to brag on God a little bit because when, when I sit back and I start taking this trip down memory lane, like I am blown away at the life God has blessed me with. I've got an amazing wife. We've got an amazing home. I've got three incredible boys. My youngest celebrated his eighth birthday this past Thursday. We got to party with him and celebrate that. And 
We've got an amazing real estate business. We've got an amazing ministry. We get to be a part of one of the greatest churches in this country, truly changing lives, not just here, but all over the country, all over the world. Like, we get to do this. God chose me. And it's amazing because I don't get to sit here and look at where I am and the blessings that I have and what I get to be a part of without going back to the beginning. Next Friday, we celebrate 16 years of being married. This coming August, we'll celebrate 21 years of being together. Some of you heard me tell the story before, but the first night I met Brittany 21 years ago, come this August, I was living a life that was doing anything but honoring God, right? Running as far as I could, trying to be the life of the party, trying to be popular, trying to do all these things with all the people that I shouldn't have been doing them with. And for whatever reason, in his providence, God sought to bring this woman into my life. She literally showed up in my front door. I don't have time for that story, but she just showed up one day. It's true. And within minutes of meeting this girl, right? Like I had a friend, brought her over, introduced us. I had known her name for a total of three minutes. And I leaned over to my best friend. Shout out to Brian Black if you're watching. If you don't believe me and you know Brian, you can go ask him. He'll tell you this is true. Within minutes of getting her name, seeing her face for the very first time, I leaned over to him and I told him these words that are etched in my brain. I said, I'm going to marry her. And he said, you're drunk. (laughs) I wasn't. I'm telling you guys, more than anything that I've ever known in my entire life, in that moment, I knew what I wanted. And in that moment, the entire direction of my life changed. Everything was different because I knew what I wanted, and it was her. Now, given, I had to convince her that my end needed to be her end. (laughs) It took some convincing, but it didn't take long. Just a couple days. (laughs) Got her. Got her. Almost 21 years ago, and truly, the life that, that we get to live today, I look back and go, man, a change in direction in my life. It was a fork in the road. And I truly believe, had I made a different decision that night, I would have ended up in a very different place. Andy Stanley said it this way. He said, direction, not intention, determines your destination. See, your intentions are worthless. Your intentions won't get you a good marriage. Your intentions won't get you out of debt. They won't get you a good relationship with your kids. Your intentions will not get you a growing relationship with God. Maybe you've heard it said this way, that you don't get what you wish for, you get what you work for. You've got to be intentional. You've got to figure out what you want, then you've got to be willing to work for it. And that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to tell young Timothy as he's writing him this letter in the closing days of his, not just his ministry, but the closing days of his life. Paul says this, 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting verse 1, he keeps writing. It says, Timothy, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom. Preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound teaching and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. Does that sound familiar? 
He says, they will reject the truth and chase after myths. Verse 5, he says, but you, Timothy, should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering from the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry that God has given you. See, when we talk about this, this life that God's given us, this ministry that we all have, that you have a purpose, God has a reason for you being here. Anytime I think about that, I've, I just, there's the thing that bothers me. I don't know about y'all. I've got a list of questions that I have for God when I make it to heaven one day. And I'm convinced the reason I'm still here is because he didn't want to answer my questions yet. Like, we're going to be there a while, but luckily we got eternity for it. So one of the things I've never been able to figure out, right, because for some reason God saw fit to put the pastor title on my life, I've never been able to figure out, God, why is it that you use us while you're changing us? Like, wouldn't it make more sense to, like, let us get finished? Like, let the process run its course. Let me get to the end. Therefore, I'm perfect. How much more effective would my ministry be if I was perfect? If I had made it to the end, how much easier would this be? I wouldn't feel like a hypocrite all the time. I wouldn't mind my life being on display for the world to see if I was perfect. But the truth is, I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. We're still in process. We're still working. God's got some things he wants us to do. It's hard. We don't like it. But God is using you right now while he's changing you. The hard part is we don't get to see the end if we can't deal with the middle. And what Paul is trying to tell Timothy is this. When you want to quit, don't. That's, that's rather appealing, right? That's like the most mind-blowing thing you've ever heard. Timothy, when you want to quit, don't. Because you're going to get into the middle of this thing. You're going to get into the middle of your life, in the middle of your ministry, and things are going to get hard. You're not going to want to do it. But when you want to quit, don't. I would ask you to raise your hands, but you wouldn't raise them. If I asked you, how many of you would admit that you're a quitter? See, by nature, we're all quitters. Now, you may have discipline and perseverance, endurance in some areas of your life. I'm not a quitter. Look at this. But if you want to be real honest with yourself, there are certain areas of your life that we can peel back the layers and we can see you're a quitter. You get into the middle and then when things get hard, you quit. That's what sin is. We're all quitters because we're all sinners. Sin is all about taking the easy way out. When things get difficult, that little voice in your head is like, hold up, don't do it. Stop. It's not worth it. You don't have to do this. Quit. And Paul's trying to tell Timothy, listen, when you get into the middle of it, it's going to get hard. There are going to be people that are against you. They want to see you fail. When it gets hard, don't quit. Don't quit. Some of you aren't seeing the end that you want because you keep quitting in the middle. I didn't know if I was going to share this story or not, honestly, until about this morning, and I finally was like, okay, I'm going to do it. I told you early on, we've all got things we have to overcome, things we struggle with, right, regardless of where you are in this journey. For me, one of the things I've battled my entire life has been like weight, right? I'm the dude, I can look at food and gain weight. Some of y'all, I hear people talk like, I'm just so skinny, I can't gain weight. And I'm always like, shut up. 
Now, I'm, I know that's an issue for some people, so I'm not making light of that. But for people who can smell donuts and gain weight, like I'm like, I don't want to hear it. My little brother growing up, he couldn't gain weight. He's always been skinny his entire life. He was smarter than me. He was skinny. And I always like, this ain't fair. We eat the same things. My mom cooked the same dinner every single night. And for some reason, I was the chunky kid and he was the skinny kid. And that didn't make no sense to me. It wasn't fair. Why well, I got to deal with this? Back this last fall, my yo-yo, I was kind of up and down. Back this last fall, one day I just decided to get on the scale. I avoid that like the plague because God knows don't nobody want to get on one of those things. But one day I was like, all right, let's just see, right? Like, I mean, what, what's the worst that can happen? <laughs> Got on, and I was real close to 300 pounds. Now, I'm 6'3", so I'm told I carried it well. But I get on there, and I'm almost 300 pounds, and you're seeing 290s, and you're like, that ain't what I want, <laughs> right? And so I realized, okay, I got I to gotta change directions. This ain't working for me. So I got serious, had to get my mind right, had to get my diet right. So I'm eight months in. This week, I got back on the scale, and I was at 235, y'all. Come on. Right? Come on. Now, I don't tell you that to brag about weight loss. That's not the point, but here's... Here's what reminded me of that story. A couple of weeks ago, I went to my doctor, had to get a checkup. And he saw the results. We were talking through my diet and those things, and he made this statement. He said, man, how do you feel? Because your success is phenomenal. And in that moment, it hit me. I don't feel like a success. Like, I don't. You say I'm successful, but where I'm sitting today, like, I. I don't feel like I'm a success because I realized that a number on a scale wasn't the end that I wanted. That wasn't the goal. The goal is I want to be healthy. Like when my kids are grown and I've got grandkids and I'm 65 years old, I want to be able to roll around with my kids in the floor. I want, to be, I want a life of longevity and health. I, I don't care what the number is. That wasn't success. I had to redefine what success was in my head. Some of you, to help you answer the question, what do you want, you need to ask yourself this question. What is your definition of success? Isn't it funny how our definition of success changes based on where we are in life? Like at different stages of life, a successful day, a successful week, success is different. When I was a kid, success for me was not having to take a nap and getting to stay up late. That was a win. That's... Now, if you want to give me a treat, give me a nap and let me go to bed early and I'm happy. Like, holy cow, that was a good day. Right? My definition of success has changed. Jump forward when I was in junior high and high school. Like, success was getting the girl, winning the game, making the grade. I was successful. Look at me. Found out, got the message this last week. This is my 20th year of being out of high school, so they're doing the whole 20-year reunion thing. We got some graduates in the house, right? So I've been out 20 years this year, class of 01, baby. 20 years, and it's kind of had me looking back on this sort of memory lane journey, right? Of what, at one point, I deemed success. For you high school kids, you graduates, when I look back on my high school career and what I chased, for the majority of those years, right, from ninth to 12th grade, I had class favorite in the bag, right? 
president of a class, student body president. I graduated number seven overall in my graduating class. Senior who's who was best all around, best leader. Our sports teams won championships. My name is hanging in the gymnasium and the rafters of the school I went to today. I wore the crown, Mr. Rogers High School, y'all. Like I was BMOC, right? Now here's the funny thing. For you high schoolers out there, guess how many of you think I'm cool because of that? None of y'all. Some of y'all that went to the school I went to, you didn't even know my name was in the rafters because guess what? It doesn't matter. 20 years later, what I thought made me successful, I look back on now and it was so futile. It was so unimportant. And it didn't take me 20 years to realize that. I graduated high school, got to college, and I walked in thinking I was somebody. And guess what I realized? Nobody cared. Who are you? It didn't matter. My definition of success changed. When I graduated college, remember, I just finished UNA. Brittany and I got married two Saturdays after I graduated college. We graduated college. I had one Saturday kind of break, right? And then we got married the next Saturday because I told y'all I had an end. I knew what I wanted, and I was going to get there as quick as possible. So graduated and got married. Well, that means I had to have a job quick because she was still in school, so I had to take care of both of us. Doing the interview thing, went to one of the largest companies in this area, made it through all the managers, got the interviews, made it all the way to the owner of the company. I'm 21 years old, scared to death walking into this multi-millionaire's office, right? But I had done the research. I had Googled like top interview questions. I had the answers that I needed. What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? And I knew how to make my weaknesses my strengths. Like I was on it. Sit down and we're going through this interview and I'm thinking things are going well and we finally kind of get towards the end of the interview and the owner of this company asked me this question. In essence, he said, what do you want? What he meant was, how much money am I going to have to pay you for you to do the job that you're interviewing for? What, what are your expectations? I've told you what we expect from you. Now you tell me what you expect from us. What do you want? Now I won't tell you the number that I told him, but I will tell you that if you ask me the same question today, my number is not the same as it was in that interview. Because see, my, my definition of success has changed. If you're taking notes, I wrote it this way. Depending on how short-sighted you are as you begin, your definition of a successful end changes. I was short-sighted. Paul knew this to be true. Look at what he says, Philippians chapter 3, him speaking of, of his heritage, right? His religious influence, his education. Paul wrote this, Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, he said, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. See, he recognized that what he wanted wasn't measuring up. He goes on, Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, he says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, 
but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on one thing, forgetting the past, looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach what? The end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. See, the question of the day is simple. What do you want? Not this week, not this month, maybe not even this year. But when you find yourself in the place that Paul found himself, when you get to the end of your life, I want you to answer that question. What do you want? And when you answer that question, then you get to ask yourself another question. Are you living the life today that will get you that end that you're striving for? Right now, you are trading in every second, every minute, and every hour of every day that you will live from now until you take your last breath. You're trading it in for something. What are you living your life for? Is it a certain number of zeros on your paycheck? Is it a certain number of followers on Instagram? One day when you stand before God, what do you think is going to impress him? You think he's going to be impressed with your 401k or your stock portfolio? The kind of car you drove and the kind of house you lived in? But the truth is, so many of us give our lives to that end. What do you want? I don't know it for a fact, but I think maybe, just maybe, the end that many of you are striving for today is just as short-sighted. It's just as futile and just as unimportant as the things that you thought would make you a success when you were seven or 17. And it doesn't matter if you're 37 like me or you're 57 or you're 21. There's something that in your head will determine your success and you are giving your life to that thing. I just wonder if, if we were short-sighted then What makes us think we're not short-sighted now? And that one day we're going to get to the end of our life and we're going to look back at 37-year-old me and I'm going to feel the same way about what I wanted at 37 as what I wanted at 17 or 7. What's 57-year-old Adam going to say about how 37-year-old Adam's living? I got a feeling he might say you're short-sighted. Your definition of success is wrong. It's not going to complete you. It's not going to fulfill you. You're chasing the wrong end. Paul said it this way, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. He says, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. Paul's writing this letter, chained in a Roman prison. Shortly after he finishes penning this letter, he will be beheaded for his faith. He's about to die. 
And this is the message that one of the most influential people in the history of the world writes. He says, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, and I've remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. See, what Paul's saying is that that reward, that end, it wasn't just for him. It's for you. I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know what battles you're fighting, what obstacles you're having to overcome. These graduates that we've got in the, in the house today, some of you, one chapter for you has ended. But another one is about to begin. If you're finishing college, chapter's ending. Another one's about to begin. This is always a difficult time for parents, right? Some of you have seniors graduating. They're getting ready to move off to college. They're moving out of the house. It's a difficult time because there's a season of your life that's coming to an end. But if you don't hear anything else I say today, I want you to understand that every ending is a beginning. As soon as one chapter closes, another one opens. And you get to sit back and you get to take inventory of your life and you get to figure out, am I successful based on what I define? Did I give my life to something that was worthwhile or did I just waste all these years of my life? You're trading your life for something. And the, the most important thing that I can tell you today is that while we are all coming from a beginning, we are also all guaranteed to be heading to an ending. There will come a time where every single person in this room that can hear my voice through that camera, at some point, every one of us will breathe our last breath on this planet. Just like Paul, death is an absolute certainty for all of us. But Paul knew something. It's that even when you come to an end here, the end really isn't the end. You're just getting started. Every single one of us are eternal. You're going to spend eternity somewhere. So when you answer the question, what is it that you want? I just wonder if we're thinking about what we want in an eternal perspective or if we just are living our lives so I can figure out what I want in retirement and what kind of beach house I can retire to. You can go talk to millionaires and you know what they'll tell you about the success they've achieved? It doesn't fulfill you like you think it would. can give your life to so many things and every single thing that you think is the end point you're going to get there and you're going to realize just like I did standing on that scale this wasn't it there's more are you living with an eternal end in mind see it's really easy to begin with the end in mind it's really difficult to live 
with the end in mind. Some of you are here and you've lived your entire life for you. You've never even thought about what eternity holds. And I'm here to tell you that we we took some time in worship to remember that there was a sacrifice made for you. That the end of this life doesn't have to be your end. That you can have an eternal forever. That this end can be your forever beginning. But you have to change your direction. It's going to take some work. You've got to make the decision. It's a free gift. But you've got to know what you want. If you're here and you've never given your life to Christ, it's the easiest thing you could ever do. It's just saying, I want it. And you ask Jesus to give you what he's already made available, and it happens just like that. There's not a certain prayer that you've got to pray. There's no aisles that you've got to walk. There's no magic words that you have to say. You just got to figure out what you want and then begin get living your life in a way that gets you to that end. Some of you, you've, you've given your life to God. You know that like I'm a Christian, but if you really started looking at your life, taking inventory of the decisions that you make, the way you lead your family, the way you interact with your friends, the way you act at work, school, you know You're not living with the end in mind. And I challenge you today to make that change because one day you're going to look back and you're going to have to answer the question, was I a success or did I waste everything that God gave me? I want to pray for you. God, we we know that this isn't one of those feel-good messages that we get to walk out and have a big pep rally about how awesome we are, God, but I hope that we can walk out of here today, whether we are coming into a new relationship with you, God, that maybe we've asked you into our lives for the first time today, that we know we want you and we want eternity with you. Or maybe we're here and we've made that decision a long time ago, but we know that we're going to walk out of here today knowing that we want to live a different way so that we can live for eternity and not for the now. It's a challenging message, God, but we know that because of you, because of your sacrifice, that you'll give us the grace and you'll give us the mercy and the strength to walk it out. Because ultimately, our success is not based on us, God, but it's based on you. God, I pray for every single person here, every challenge they're facing, every obstacle they're having to overcome, God. When the road's easy and the road's hard, even when it's not fair, that they would know, God, that there's a purpose in it and that you're walking that through every single step of the way with them, God. We thank you for that. Let us find our success in you. In Jesus' name, amen.